You're listening to the Soul Strategies podcast hosted by the team here at Soul Strategies. We hope you like the latest episode and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Soul Strategies podcast. As always, I'm your host, James. Today, we've got Amani Z and Michael here, all co-workers of mine, and we're going to be talking about campaign do's and don'ts. So how are we doing today, everybody? Good. We're doing good. It's a good Friday. Good. Excited to be here. Sweet. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It's good energy in the room today, and I'm very excited. We've been kind of like prepping a little bit beforehand. Uh, a little, you know, behind the scenes a bit, just so we had some semblance of a structure because with, with a topic like this that's so broad, it sometimes gets a little difficult determining what is and is not like the most important thing because as campaign consultants, we all have our little niches where we all think that our thing is the most important. So um, that being said, uh, does anybody want to take us off? You know, we can start with uh, do's or don'ts. Anybody want to pick which one to start with and we'll just run from it from there. Let's start with the, let's start with the do's. Do have your platform at least laid out in your head ahead of time. You know, beginning your campaign and trying to fundraise and trying to, you know, start your operations, it's not the time to decide what you're going to run on. I feel like that should be decided way ahead of time. No, I, I completely agree with that. When I look at a lot of campaigns that either we have worked with or campaigns that I've worked with before coming on to this firm in particular, um, I've noticed that it, it seems sometimes um, candidates tend to, and maybe this is more of a don't even at this point, <laughs> but there, there are a good amount of candidates that I think tend to have this problem where they have a broad vision of what they want to accomplish without actually like laying down the groundwork and kind of figuring out like a specific set of policies they want that might help them um, either engage with their community or demonstrate that they, they know the needs of their community even in a way that can be really problematic for them. And I, I think a lot of candidates miss out on the whole planning phase of a candidacy because I think, uh, you know, especially post-Trump, we've seen a lot of candidates kind of come out and say, well, I think I can do it because I have, you know, a lot of passion for this, this thing. And I, I think that passion's beautiful. It's great. You know, wanting to run for political office and be a public servant is, is an amazing thing. Uh, but it, it runs into a problem where you need to lay the groundwork. And, you know, sometimes that groundwork can mean like in engaging with your community, like actually getting to know your community that you live in, uh, knowing your neighbors, knowing, you know, your local school board, knowing where, you know, where all of the major areas of your city are, knowing where to talk to people, how to canvas. Like those are operations that can take years sometimes, depending on the, on the seat you want. Right. And, and even beyond that, it's, you know, building, you know, a social media platform that's at least like maybe a little bit okay before jumping in and, and having an idea in your head of like what you want to push for. You know, every good campaign has a slew of policies, sometimes built by policy wonks uh, like me, or, or maybe, you know, things the candidate personally cares about. Something like Bernie Sanders is a really good example with Medicare for All, right? He has a, he has a slew of, of uh, positions, but he has some that he touts very heavily because he cares very much personally about them. I think to add to that, um, you know, given somebody that gets on the phone with hundreds of candidates every month, sometimes even more, um, you know, as Amani was saying, do have your platform in your mind ahead of time, but in like to add to that, don't play identity politics. So we get on the phone a lot with a lot of candidates when we ask them, because the first question that we always ask, given that you know we separate ourselves from political firms or from consultants, because we, we care about the people that we're working for, right? And then we also 
you know, we don't provide necessarily consulting advice more. So we're, we're jumping into the campaign and helping you actually structure out your campaign and get the work done more so than anything else. And yeah, consulting comes along with that. But what we're looking for is we're looking for people that actually care about what they're talking about. And so when we get on the phone with somebody and they tell us, I represent my community because I look this way, because I'm a woman, because of X, Y, and Z, before they talk about the issues, a lot of the times that's a red flag to us um, because unfortunately, like your identity is not going to be help. It could be helpful in terms of people looking up to you um, in wanting to run, right? Like that, that could be helpful, um, but it's not helpful in terms of what your community actually needs. And a lot of these communities where people are choosing to run are, are communities that are suffering. Um, and they and they need real policy and they need real policy right now. So it's not, it can't be an afterthought. It needs to be the first thought. Hey, you're listening to the Soul Strategies Podcast. Take a moment to listen to some of our esteemed champions and their takeaways from the program. And I'm glad that I was a part of that, that I had the opportunity to even be involved with that, with some legitimate organizations that help people who want to do right by other people, you know, by communities. You know, utilize my my resources, utilize my networks. Um, This has, the last month, I've had some tremendous things happen. It's your time to become a leader. Go to soulstrategies.com to find out more. Definitely, I totally agree. What's another one y'all think is important? What's another issue that we feel like? Because we've, over the past year, we've worked with probably about I'll say 40 to 50 campaigns and all of them run into their own unique set of issues that end up having to be ironed out through the running process. What's another one you guys think that we've run into? I mean, for me, uh, something that I think is really, really important is not just having, um, you know, your set of views and opinions, but understanding the distinct needs of your community and knowing how to apply your um, your the- really as a leftist, um, apply your like theories that apply your personal positions to the material conditions that exist in your district. Right. Um, I, I see so many candidates where they, they get into a race on like a, on, like a Senate position or a, well, it's really more congressional races do this where they're running in a district, but you wouldn't really know what district they ever ran in because they never talk about the district so much as like, or they never talk about issues in their district so much as like national focus issues. Right. Like, you know, I get this weird feeling sometimes when I, when I noticed that congressional candidates seem to be running less for their district and more for a national seat. Um, and in my, you know, I'm kind of one of those old school guys, right? I, I really do think that the best, you know, way to, to do that is to start low with like maybe a school board, then get into city council, then move up if you want to move that high. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with just staying in like a school board, <laughs> you know? And I think in a lot of ways, that's even more valuable if you really care about your community in a lot of like smaller ways. Um, or not even really smaller, just different. But I noticed that, um, you know, if you don't have a focus on your community, your community doesn't really see you as, as a part of it. You know, I, I've had candidates before where if I do a donation, um, ask like, you know, for background for people who might not know this, because it's kind of, what we do is, you know, for, for my, di- I do digital department as part of my job. And, you know, we'll do like donation asks for maybe Twitter or um, email. And I've noticed uh, occasionally, not just candidates that we work with, but candidates that, um, that, I, that I see, they'll do this really weird thing where instead of saying, um, you know, they're criticizing their opponent's actions in the district, 
they'll say that their that their opponent is failing in their district rather than like our district, right? And those small wording things, it, those small wording differences and those small policy focus differences can make a really, really big, I think, impact on how your voters view you as a part of their community. Because if you other yourself, you're really undercutting, I think, the momentum that you could have in your own district, which is so critical in an election. Yeah, I would agree with that. And to, you know, to piggyback off that, you know, I don't know if this would count as do's and don'ts for strategy, but I think it does. Like a lot of folks that we get on the phone with, first time candidates, they want to run for Congress. They want to run for U.S. Senate, having not been involved in their community really at all. Um, And whenever we ask why they want to do that, their answer is because the things I care about cannot be changed at the local level. And that's almost always 100% not true. Almost all of these issues start at the local level. So there is like a lack of understanding there about how the system works. So my suggestion to anybody that does want, you know, the do part of this, do go to your local city council meetings, Um, do participate in these local, these local events and local government, because that's where you're, you're going to understand how the system works. And you will see that there is a connection between the issues that you care about and what happens locally. I think that's just like such a great point, because I feel like, I'm not sure, you know, about you guys, but I feel like in the last 10 or 15 years, Congress hasn't really done that much. Washington, D.C., you know, we had the Affordable Care Act. We had Trump's tax cuts. We had the Build Back Better pandemic relief. And then that's all I can really think of when it comes to congressional legislation that has made like a notable difference in our country. But, you know, in the state and the local level, that's where a lot more pressing issues are decided. You know, marijuana is a good example gay marriage, marriage equality is a good example, minimum wage, um, you know, abortion protections. I know Oregon, I think, enshrined, I'm not even sure, like, don't quote me on this, but I think Oregon actually made abortion, um, I think, almost a constitutional right, just kind of enshrining that, just shrining that right indefinitely overall. So I think a lot of um, important issues really happen on the local level, which is why I'm so much more engaged with uh, local leaders rather than just national, national like talking heads, things like that. Yeah, totally. The same thing here, because I'm from Oregon too, or live in Oregon, is that, you know, our legalization of drugs that just happened recently um, and universal pre-K, like both of those things, I mean, are going to have a huge impact on the state, right? Um, And none of those things would have been able to be passed at the federal level. Um, So those are just two examples, but or three examples, but there are hundreds, thousands of examples uh, of local, you know, how locally, I mean, a lot of states even have healthcare, um, have universal healthcare in their states. Um, You know, obviously, like there are different pay pay for programs that you have to be involved in to participate sometimes. But like New York has a great uh, New York healthcare program in the state um, that keeps a lot of people um, insured, which is super important. So, you know, there's definitely definitely stuff happening at the local level, definitely things that matter in people's everyday direct lives. And there's nothing wrong with starting local and and working your way up either. There really isn't. It, It makes you more connected to your community. And again, like we're looking for community organizers to help build out big campaigns um, because community organizers make the best candidates because they really understand that the work that goes into making it happen. Yeah, 
I think that directly ties into the reason why they're running, because if you're running to really make change and you're running not from a sense of ego or narcissism or wanting to be famous or wanting to be a politician, then running locally isn't a bad idea at all. Like Z and Michael just said, that's where the real change happens. And a lot of it is a trickle up effect. So definitely checking your reasons for running and getting involved in your community and making sure you're doing it to better the people around you and better the lives of the people in your area. That's the real reason to run. Take yourself out of it. And I think that's a big do slash don't. I think we had an episode about this actually like very early in the podcast. Um, I can't remember the first five episodes of what qualifies you to run for office. Right. And I encourage people to go back and listen to that episode, but I don't think that we really truly talked about the step before you even make the decision or consider the decision to run. And I think that that's the step that pre-step to the first step where you have to have an honest conversation with yourself. Like Amani was saying, um, you know, really truly say, and not a lot of people can do this because it's very difficult, but really sitting with yourself and asking yourself your, your true reasons why you're running. Um, because your why is the most important thing. If you ever work with us in fundraising, which I hope that you will, that's going to be one of the first things that we talk about is your why building out your story. And if you don't have a why there is no campaign, there is no campaign messaging to build on. So that's something that has to happen even before you decide that you have the time, the all the other things to go into running, right? Mostly the time and the effort that it's going to take um, is that you need to have that conversation first of, of why are you doing this? No, I agree. And I, I think the time and effort component is so unbelievably critical because I, I, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people who don't either have a background working in campaigns or have kind of been around it really understand the amount of sheer time and effort that go into both campaigning and just being a candidate in general. You know, there's like, you know, you're spending hours a day minimum. Like it's basically, it is a second job campaigning. And if you don't, kind of go in with that understanding like you're kind of setting yourself up for failure and, and really in my opinion setting yourself up to waste a lot of time and money primarily other people's money which I think can be a little problematic mm-hmm. running for your hobby is not a hobby you know it's not a, a project to do when you're like well I've checked everything else off my bucket list might as well run for congress it's not that kind of <laughs> you know you sure I'm sure because sure. people will have bungee jumping and running for Congress on a list and you know, the two are not the same. We laugh about it, but it is, it's definitely like, you know, we laugh about it internally a lot, right? Like, cause it, it's true. Like people like almost see this as like a bucket list thing or like they get, they're retired and they're bored. Like we have a lot of people that are bored that decide to run, but really truly like that. I mean, it's a reality, right? Like people, people are really doing this. Like a lot of people are, are doing this for the wrong reasons. And so that's why we want to open up the conversation early and have that conversation. And if you feel like you can't have that conversation with yourself, like anybody on our staff will talk to you for free about this and help you and help you make that decision if that's something that you need. But that's definitely, it's just, it's so critical because yeah, I mean, you have to put 16 hours a day into this. If you're running for federal office, like that is going to be the amount of time that's expected of you. And for most people, that's just not reality. People that have kids, it's very difficult, right? Like it's something that you have to consider, especially if you have little kids. 
um, you know, people that are in school and working multiple jobs. And that's not saying that these should be like a deterrent from you running. Like it definitely shouldn't. Um, and there are ways that we can help you make it not a deterrent because we want working class people to be able to do this. But then there are also just some things that you can't take out of your life. Right. And it's just a reality that you're not going to have time that it takes to actually be able to run. So it's definitely something to think about. For sure. I think another thing that people discount before they're running into office or they just don't put a lot of thought into it is the branding. That is such a huge and pivotal piece of your campaign that seems to go not only unnoticed, but the importance of it doesn't seem to get the respect that it deserves. Like that's another thing. There should be a lot of thought and time and effort put into the colors that you choose, the graphics you design, the logo that you choose, the layout of your website. All of those kind of things are what are, is what's going to add validity to your campaign. When people log on to your website, Joe Schmo for Congress, and they see, you know, just the basic red, white, and blue with the aerial font, that, that separates you from somebody who has more powerful and impactful branding that sends a message. It's not only what you say, but it's how you visually represent yourself when you're running for office. That matters a lot. That's so true. And that do also doesn't mean that you should go do it yourself either, because Correct. we have a million people that come to us and they say, we don't want to change our, the website. I spent all of this time doing it. It's, it's great. And the reality is it's really not so great. Um, and they really need help with that. And that's why like, it's, it's extremely important to have professionals that know what they're doing because branding isn't just about you picking the colors you like, right? Like it's, Actually, that has nothing to do with it at all. Right? Like, what it's about, it's, it's about reflecting a story. It's about branding who you are as a person, right? And, and what you mean to the community. That, and those two things like are very critical. So like your colors, your font, like all the ways that you're representing yourself has to have something to do with that. And if it doesn't, if it's not representing your story, if there's no meaning behind it, uh, then really, I mean, it's not good branding. Um, I don't know, James or Michael, if you could talk about some of the, I mean, not candidates by name, but talk about like some of the branding that we've done for candidates and like how we, what we decided, like how we decided to go that direction. But it is, it is something that is critically important. Yeah. I mean, you know, with, with branding and I, I think like website design and things like that, I, I think it's so critical for people to understand that it's more than just a website or, you know, a, a Twitter outlay or a Facebook profile or an Instagram page. These are in many instances, especially during COVID, the first interaction and connection mm -hmm. someone's making with your campaign. Mm -hmm. And you can have the best rhetoric. You can be the best damn talker you that, of, of anyone that's ever existed, right? You could give better speeches than anyone in the world. But if someone who doesn't know that goes on and sees that like oh this is a really really messy website that looks mm -hmm. like it was made on wordpress um by like someone who didn't really have a background in it and it doesn't really have any of the issues that you care about it doesn't really seem to have any of your personal information it just kind of says this is a campaign and here's like a, maybe a couple broad issues then you're not going to be like they're not going to receive you well and you've already spoiled that first connection, which is going to make like second, third, fourth and fifth impressions more difficult. It puts you at a disadvantage starting, which you don't need to have. Right. You know, we've had candidates come to us that, have, that we've done a lot of really good work with. Um, one, the one that's my favorite, because it's the one I, I played, I think, the biggest hand in of the ones we've designed. 
uh, was a candidate in Washington where, uh, you know, her family were Chilean immigrants who had fled under Pinochet in like 1963. And we knew that because her family were socialists who had to flee, um, they had supported Allende, uh, Salvador Allende, who was the president um, of Chile before uh, the U.S.-backed coup deposed him. So we took a lot of the campaign like designs and a lot of the posters and imagery from the Allende, from the Allende campaign and turned that into her branding. Uh, and it turned out really, really beautiful. It spoke not only to her family's history, which in the roots that she has, which she felt were very, very important to her, um, but it also spoke to the pro-immigration like stances that she was taking in her campaign and, and the socialist stances she was taking in her campaign, right? It's, it, it's how you tie in your imagery and your messaging with who you are, right? Because your imaging, you know, your imagery is you. Your messaging is you. Like you need to be authentic, and you want messaging that kind of plays off of that. Um, because the alternative is either inauthentic-looking messaging that, like people like me who can smell bullshit, will be able to tell you a mile away, like this is this is this is fake. You know, I, I grew up with a grandfather from Brooklyn. Like I can smell bullshit when I see it, uh, and you know, it's it's one of those things. And I, I think a lot of people really underestimate that. I don't know. What do you think, Michael? I think that's a great point overall. I kind of want to just shift gears and really just talk about just like the fundraising aspect of everything when it comes to the campaign, because I feel like we've run into a lot of candidates that don't really know, or I guess just understand that, you know, federal races especially can cost hundreds or thousands or even millions of dollars. And you know, the candidate really needs to sit there and just really think about, you know, ways on how they can fundraise, whether it be small dollar donation or big dollar donations, things like that. And, you know, if they don't do that, their opponent is really going to, you know, flood the airways with their content, get attack ads about you. You know, I feel like, you know, the, the amount of money you raise also, I feel like, um, determines how serious you are as a candidate to some people's eyes, you know, for examples, like when it comes to certain endorsements, things like that. It's just a really important that, you know, every candidate has a plan on how to make their campaign remain viable throughout the entire race. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I, I think, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, I, I, I've had this conversation with myself, even when I'm contemplating like whether or not I want to get onto a campaign or even do one on any level, it's, you know, do you as a person have the capability to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars? Like, do you have the charisma? Do you have the ideas? And you have to be honest with yourself, because I think a lot of us convince ourselves that, you know, oh, well, I mean, of course, people would fundraise for me. I'm me, like all this thing. But we're so caught up in our own circles and in our own heads that I think we oftentimes forget that, like, to a stranger, we're nobody to them. You know, like there's a running joke that I've seen, uh, you know, for years, which is everybody who you don't know is essentially an NPC, <laughs> which is like a, you know, a video game slang for just like a computer character. Like you have no idea who they are. You'll never know who they are. You've never engaged with them. You never will again. Right. The amount of faces that we just see day to day that we never see again. And you have to convince someone who doesn't know you, who knows you're trying to pitch them because you're a politician to give you money um, and to support you. Uh, and not only to support you, but support that you will do what's best for them. Like that's, that's a tough sell. And you really have to have a conversation with yourself over one, like, can I raise this money? And two, like, do I have any reasonable means of doing it? Because you can't just tweet about, oh, I need money. 
it doesn't work that way. Like you have to have like a pretty concrete fundraising strategy. Now, given fundraising tweets can be a part of it. And then, you know, with some campaigns, they've been really successful even for us, but you have to have some idea what you're going to do or else the money dries up fast. And then you end up kind of not knowing what, where to go. You put yourself on a corner very quickly. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with that. And, you know, on piggybacking off of that, you again, need professional help because there is, there is literally not a candidate in the entire world, I don't believe. And if, you know, if somebody finds somebody, please correct me, but that has been able to raise this money on their own. Like it just doesn't happen. Every single person has to have a call time manager. It is just essential um, to, to be able to do that. So uh, if that's something that you're looking for, talk to us. You can also, we, if, if we're not a fit for you, I always tell folks that we have a lot of different vendors that we work with that are progressive vendors that do very similar work um, and that we could refer you to as well. So, but don't go at it on your own because you will waste so much time just hitting walls. You need to have somebody there as your sounding board. You need to have somebody there correcting your pitches. Um, it's not something that you're going to be able to do straight away. And I've had like folks come to us that have said, you know, I don't need help with fundraising because I've run a nonprofit for 20 years. And, you know, I fundraise with that just fine. It's not the same. It's really not the same as political fundraising. Political fundraising is a whole other beast. So you really need to have the help early on. For sure. And no, absolutely. Again, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, by all means, I've talked to them right. for one day. Um, and that's another reason why I think like, local races to me and state races to me are just so much more important than it comes to federal politics overall, especially from a candidate perspective, because, you know, for local races, it requires less money to be fundraised. And if you do win that seat, you will have, you know, more of an ability to actually make impactful change for your community. Because, you know, in federal politics, you know, we're dealing with like the filibuster and just all these other people blocking progress. You know, there's issues that have a 90% support rate by the American public that still do not get passed because the federal government continues to, you know, um, be gridlocked. And that's why it's just, you know, from any candidate, it's just, I feel like running locally is, I think, my opinion, the best way to make an impactful change to your community. And you don't really need that much money compared to a federal race to do it. Totally, exactly. I think a really good example of that, of a situation like that, right, is like we always talk about this internally, that if you run a race and you are running a race to get one or two percent, you're not scaring anyone in the establishment. Like you're literally not. I mean, <laughs> I hate to tell you, but but you're hmm. just not. Um, but if you run a local race against some big people in your state that matter to the establishment, you are going to scare a lot of people. And as Michael was just saying, a lot of those fundraising numbers are very attainable. So like a good example of this is that, and I think it's fine to talk about this now that it's over, but uh, Michael and I worked on a race together before Soul Strategies started um, with a candidate who was very young, um, who was trans, who just got, who had gotten kicked out of the military because of the Trump trans ban. And she ran a race against the House Majority Whip in Oregon. Um, and did extremely well and did not raise very much money really at all. I, Michael, do you remember how much she raised? It wasn't much. I mean, I want to say like 30,000. Yeah. Like not nothing, really nothing. And, um, I mean, she got what, almost 40% pretty close yeah, to around that for sure. And like, 
we had a really good field game going, but you know, that was at the moment where COVID started, like right at the beginning, March, 2020, that whole thing where people were just really not sure. It's like, Oh, should I, you know, be in public talking to people, mask, no mask, all that other stuff at like the beginning hectic cycle of the pandemic. But yeah, overall it was a very good campaign with the resources we had. So I feel like, you know, local races are usually the way to go. Totally. And like, had we, I truly believe, and I'm not just saying this because we worked on it. I really, truly believe that had our primary not been in May and had the pandemic not started in March, because I mean, you all remember when the pandemic started, at least in Oregon, it was yeah. a no, like nobody was even out on the street. Um, it was, yeah. it was, you were not knocking on any doors, mask or no mask. So, and it was like that for like four months, five months. So, um, so really, I mean, there was no choice. We couldn't knock on, on doors and it was two months before the primary and we had called like every number available in the state multiple times. So there literally wasn't any other way to reach people. Um, so really, I, I think that if we had kept door knocking that we would have won, but that's just a great example because I mean, I think that the incumbent in that race had like at least three, four times as much as we had. And we were still able to make a dent like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, when, when we're talking about small win numbers and small electorates, it's just much, much easier. So it's just something to consider. Um, and trust me, we made the establishment sweat in that race. And we've made the establishment sweat in a lot of these local races. So it's uh, you can do a lot of damage. And then we also well, got a lot of union endorsements from that race as well. Getting organized labor involved with your campaign is super important for sure. So important and doing it early because a lot of people don't realize that when people are asking you to fill out these endorsement applications months and months and months before, particularly in labor, but in in a lot of places, right, is that people are already having conversations about candidates and deciding what where they want to sit right now that doesn't mean that they're deciding, you know, completely but they're already having conversations about it, right, of who they want internally. So if you're not building that relationship at that time, then by the time the questionnaire comes around, if they've never heard your name, very unlikely that you're going to be taken seriously. Um, So it's just something to think about, of building those relationships really, really early in the game. Oh, yeah, no, connections are critical. I mean, like, you know, I just, like, there are people I know in organizations that, because they've known me and they know what I stand for, if I ever pitch them a candidate to endorse, they, they put it through basically and, and send it right to their teams. Like, I mean, like it's so unbelievably critical, I think, for you as a candidate to have outreach like that and to have people who know where to go for that, I think, too. Yeah. But, you know, it's just one of those things that I think is, is just missed. You know, I, I think with the, you know, to come back to the national focus thing, though, I think the reason a lot of candidates like kind of skip the initial um, they, they skip that kind of in, the initial steps of like running locally is because, you know, we have stories of people who are just able to, I mean, you know, on, on the right, you have people like Trump who have like literally zero political experience whatsoever, who are catapulted to the highest political office in the entire country, um, which is an abnormality. But on the left, you have it too, right? You know, you have the amount of progressives I've talked to that are like, well, I want to be like AOC. And it's like, well, that's, not how that works. Um, you know, AOC's race on, if, you know, if you don't dig into the weeds, looks like, oh, you know, a bartender from the Bronx uh, with no really relevant experience all of a sudden is now a, a House of Representatives person. It's like, no, um, a very, very, very good campaigner who has a BA in econ and in international relations from like Boston College 
um, who I think it's Boston College, who had the support of a lot of groups on the ground who were willing to go to bat for her and put out like hundreds of canvassers per day in a low turnout election against an incumbent that nobody really liked was able to pull through. Like that's not, that's the stars aligning. That's not, you know, an everyday schmuck, like everyday schmuck coming in and saying, well, I just want to run for office today. It's, it's, it's not the same thing. Yeah, it's not, it's not. You have to be strategic about where you're running too. I mean, it's, it's just, it's so critically important. Like if you're in a, and not to say that you shouldn't run for office if you're in a plus 15 Republican district, but that means that you need to be planning this out in, for six years, eight years, 10 years, right? How you got, how you're going to flip that seat. You are not going to flip that seat tomorrow running for Congress. It's not going to happen. So what you need to do is you need to start organizing at the local level, flipping the local seats so that you can flip the larger seats, right? And turn that district into a blue district. But that's going to take a lot of voter registration, a lot of education. And none of that is going to happen unless you do it first locally and to raise the money to be able to do it. Definitely. And also you have to find a way to stand out in your area as well. A lot of times we'll have people running in a district and a lot of the issues that they're running for, the platform that they're choosing, isn't really relevant to their constituents. It may be issues that you're personally passionate about, but you have to figure out a way to get your community to support you. And that will be by focusing on issues that directly impact them. And that boils down to the thing we were talking about earlier with running nationally versus running lo locally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so true. I also think just to like not turn gears here too hard, but uh, don't that I would like to talk about is don't bring on 800 volunteers or interns or staffers <laughs> or anybody. Just don't do that. It's It's not... When you have too many cooks in the kitchen in any campaign, it is a nightmare and it doesn't work. No, I agree with that. I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, having, having a lot of volunteers is great if you have someone who can coordinate all of them and you don't give them positions of, like, significant leverage or power within your, like, hierarchy. <laughs> um, but if you're trying to run, like, a, a pretty streamlined campaign, know who is an expert in the very specific thing you want them to do and let them run and then don't continually bog everybody down with more and more and more and more and more expertise because you end up just getting everyone upset with each other and then nothing gets done essentially is what i've seen in every campaign where i've seen that problem is it just creates factions and then those factions all just hate each other and then there's no cohesiveness to their work yeah every single time it's a huge problem and I mean, don't not pay people either. I mean, I know that like, you know, we talk about this a lot. I think we even have a podcast podcast episode about this specifically about, you know, volunteers and, but, you know, and, and of course volunteers like add to any movement, every movement needs volunteers, but you can't rely on volunteers to run your campaign. Running a campaign is it's, it's not the same as running a business, but a lot of aspects are, right? And you need people that really understand what they're doing and are able to direct the people under them, right? Like that's just the only real way to do it. Um, and then having people in those positions, even if they tell you that I just want to volunteer my time to do this 30, 40 hours a week, it's still as a progressive campaign, you have to pay people. It's really, really important. And even if people tell you that really everybody deserves to get paid, right? For their, for their work and for their talent. So it's just really important to keep that in mind. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think in campaigning in general um, and in politics, really, um, in general, there's like very widespread exploitation of labor and, you know, both emotional and physical labor um, of staff. And I think that's a really, really significant problem that I think progressives are starting to really, I think, key in on and fix. You know, like our firm pays living wages, you know, the Sanders campaign pays living wages for their staff now and everything like that and their volunteers. But you will have a lot of campaigns where, you know, it's understandable if you can't maybe afford to pay a ton of canvassers. I get that. But if you have like dedicated people who are like in your hierarchy for staff, you need to get them something Um, because otherwise you're just taking their labor on the shot that maybe you get political prestige. And to me, that always has rubbed me the wrong way in any campaign I've worked for where I've seen that being the bulk of the labor Um, because I'm cool working like a horse. Right. Because I get paid to do it. Um, but when I was volunteering back in the day, before I started working in campaigning, it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way to see even higher ups, like people that were doing like 20 hours of work a week, uh, you know, like 15, 20 hours of work, getting nothing from that besides like a high five or a pat on the back. Like that, that irritates me. Yeah. Yeah. I think our whole agrees on that. It's just, it's, and when we're coming into a campaign, you know, our team is so vibrant, ready to work, ready to make it happen. And when we see that, it just, it, it just never feels right. You know, it, it always feels like you got to pay your people. That that's, that's all we got to say. So, um, and you know, if you don't have the money for it, then the answer is that you need fundraising help first mm-hmm. before you bring on anybody, because really you shouldn't hire anybody until at least you've brought on your finance director who should be responsible for helping you raise more money. Um, There's no need to get a campaign manager before that. There's no need to bring on a comms person before that. There's really no need for any role until you get over that first initial threshold of, oh, okay, I can raise this amount of money to bring on X amount of staffers, right? That's when you should be hiring people after you've raised that money. Definitely agree. No, I, I think that's actually another really good don't and I guess a do. I guess these, these blend together a lot more than I thought they were going to. Uh, <laughs> um, like, you know, something that you really have to think about when you're hiring out and, and like making staff is prioritizing which departments and which staff to go into first. Like, I always feel bad um, as someone who works on a digital team when a candidate comes to us and they're like, well, we really want digital before we do like press and endorsements or fundraising or any kind of like semblance of like a field conversation. Because mm-hmm. digital should be something that like you shore up personally a little bit. Yeah. And then when you have the money to let someone run your stuff, you do. But I've mm-hmm. seen campaigns dump thousands of dollars into growing their Twitters and we'll grow your Twitter. I can grow a Twitter. Like that's, uh, that's fine. <laughs> but, and then we'll do the job, but it's always really weird seeing candidates who are like, yeah, I don't really know how we're going to, you know, afford any like digital ads on Facebook or, or any kind of outreach or anything like that. And it's like, okay, why are you paying us to do your Twitter if you're not doing call time and you're not getting this funds like rates? Like, you know, the, the whole point of us doing this is to offload stuff is so you can offload stuff to us so you can then continue fundraising, right. um, which is just, it's always been a weird thing when I notice it is like these campaigns will say, oh, well, digital sounds good. And then they never do fundraising. And it's like, well, we can't fundraise for you entirely off of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like we can do emails that can fundraise a good amount, but even those take money because you have to set up MailChimp and you need lists. Exactly. You know, it's, it's the whole thing. It's something it's just... you've got to grow over time. It's, it's a, it should just be one piece of your fundraising pie that you're working on. Exactly. And yeah, if you're not doing call time, there's no way you can expect to raise money just using digital. It just doesn't work that way. 
Facts. So true. It's just like, I feel like it's important to every campaign to really have the basics first, you know, fundraising, having community connections, you know, your message platform and branding, and then we can, and then, you know, field as well. And then we can add on social things like that. Cause those are really the first four things i mentioned are usually just like, you know, the lifeblood of every campaign, you know, it's like, you can have a, you can run a social media campaign, but it's not going to get you a seat without the other four components for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, and I, I think, you know, piggybacking off of that too, like knowing what you like, like specific things that matter that you stand for and being able to articulate that on your own is really, really important or else we can't even get off the ground on digital because we don't really know what you stand for. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can, we can write up platitudes for days. Like I can do that as long as you possibly want me to, but you need to be able to, if a voter is like, how do you feel about this thing um, to be able to say, oh, I have a defined opinion on this. It's written on my website. Let me tell you. Right. And a lot of candidates just don't have that. And then they, they kind of come to us and they're like, can you help with messaging? And we're like, we can help with messaging. But what you're asking us to do is write your entire policy platform. Right. Right. Which is different. <laughs> Which is very different. <laughs> I have another dope that popped into my head. Don't think that you can easily win an election without a comprehensive field program. Exactly. Girl snaps, snaps all around. All around. around. Even it doesn't matter how famous you are. Even if you're Barack Obama, you need field because nothing converts voters more than getting a face-to-face interaction with somebody. And a lot of the candidates who we work with or who are coming up into politics, who are progressive, they don't have that name recognition. You know, they may be doing some work in the community or in other cases, they may not. You know, this may have been an idea that they just had, you know, a couple months ago or whatever. So it's important to show your face in your community, get your messages, messaging around to your constituents. And the best possible way to do that is with field, knocking on doors, putting literature in people's hands, doing GOTV. All of that. It's pivotal. Our most successful people always have the biggest field programs. Mm-hmm. Every time. Field is just, yeah, it's everything. I mean, it's, we, we always say internally and externally too, I guess now that, you know, everything that we do at Soul Strategies, every department we have is to get you more money to buy more fields. That is literally it. That is the strategy. It's like, you know, if it, it's not a secret. We don't keep that internal. And I, you know, all progressives are doing this, right? Um, or all progressives that are winning are doing this, I should say. But it's really, you know, everything that we do, our digital is really ultimately to, to try and raise you some money. Um, our fundraising obviously is to raise you money. Press and endorsements are to help you raise more money so that you can go and spend that on field. 100%. You could say it's our uh, it's our sole strategy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a dad joke. <laughs> well, but it literally is. I mean, that's where we got our name from, literally. So that is it. It is. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's just so critical. And it's something that you need to think about early on. Um, you really need to think about the areas that you think you're going to do well in and why, like, if you want to, if you need help looking at maps, if you need help making those determinations, we can definitely help you. Um, but it's always great to also talk to local organizers in the area, go and talk to uh, pastors at the church, right? Like go and talk to teachers in that area, 
Um, and you know, that's really, that's how we always suggest getting started, but ultimately you need to look at your map early on and look at how many places, how many doors you think you need to hit, uh, in order to get your win number. Um, and then, you know, we build backwards and we can tell you how much that's going to cost you, but, and, you know, obviously other things like how many volunteers you could probably get and all of the other pieces, but that's really, really critical. Very, very. All right. Any final do or don't that you feel like we should leave the audience with? What is the number one thing we want them to walk away with this podcast understanding today? Make sure your campaign managers know exactly how you think and what you would do in every situation that is given to them. That is so true. That is such a do. <laughs> a very big do. I can't tell you the amount of campaigns that I have seen, and this is not even with just with working with y'all, where if you talk to the candidate and you talk to the campaign manager, you would swear you're running two different campaigns for two different people. Uh Yeah, that's so true. That is so, yeah. And that's not, I'm here to tell you, that's not a winning strategy, friends. Nope. It's not a winning strategy at all. Yeah, it is a very good way of getting me tied up in phone calls for several hours at a time, though, I will admit. (laughs) Yeah, no, that is so true. I can't even tell you how many times I've had to communicate between literally between the candidate and the campaign manager, because they neither of them know what's going on because they don't talk to each other. Um, Yes, please do. Do communicate with your campaign manager. Do pick somebody that you enjoy working with um, and do pay them. Please don't pick a family member if they don't have campaign experience. Please don't pick your best friend, your cousin. They all love you. They're all lovely people, I'm sure. They don't know how to run a campaign, okay? Your mom does not deserve that. Your responsibility. (laughs) She doesn't. Let her be. (laughs) Let her retire. Don't copy AOC or Diana Morales' colors when you're looking for a color scheme. Critical. That's a personal one for me. That's it. Yeah, because we've seen a lot of that. Oh, I think I think one thing though, like a serious one, uh, like I mean, those are all serious, but like like a very serious one is you can make change outside of electoral politics. Like if you want to do good for your community or do good for your state or what have you, you don't have to be a politician. Like straight up, you never have to run for office, and you can still make an immense impact in your community. And I think that's something a lot of candidates don't quite understand because they might not know how to do that. But you can reach out to political organizations in your community, to mutual aid groups, to groups that are doing real material things in your city, the town, whatever you're in. And you can build that if it doesn't exist. That infrastructure is, is very, I think, copy and pasteable to a broad degree. And you don't have to have a political campaign where you're running for the Senate to get like better infrastructure in your city. You, you don't need to. Yeah, that's 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 really true. Like that we should be extremely honest about that. And we are. I mean, you really, you know, and if you are on the fence about it, if you don't know if it would be right for you, you can, again, you can always call us and we'll we'll give you free advice. But a lot of folks, you know, they want to make that change and running for office isn't for them. You shouldn't stop doing, you know, you shouldn't stop wanting to help and stop wanting to do things because of that. Um, you should definitely participate. Get involved. Yes. Speak up and show out and stand out for your community. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Any any wrapping up thoughts? I think we got it. 
Yeah, I think we hit the nails on the head. Cool, cool. Thanks, James. No worries. I'm happy to have y'all on. Uh, but yeah, as always, this was uh, Z, Amani, and Michael, and this is the Soul Strategies Podcast. Hope all of y'all have an amazing day.